State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Tess, I want to ask you a question real quick. Let's just keep a real straight shot with no chaser. I'm going to get a little bit rough. I'm here for those who really believe in the American process. All of us. Straight shot, no chaser. With your girl, Tesla Figaro, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Good evening. My name is Candace Hollingsworth, national co-chair for our Black Party and former mayor of the city of Hyattsville in Prince George's County, Maryland. And on behalf of my co-chair, Wes Bellamy, our steering committee, our founding members, and the 23,000 members of our Black Party, I want to welcome you to our conversation with Maryland's Democratic candidates for governor about their vision for Black Marylanders. Our Black Party is a political organization that supports policies and candidates that advance a Black agenda. A Black agenda being a set of policies, programs, and priorities that taken together work to improve the quality of life for Black people across this country. As I've said on this platform and elsewhere, there is not a single aspect of a Black agenda that if enacted will not be good for everyone. And for this reason, it is important for leaders to center the lives and experiences of Black folk in their policymaking. Tonight, we will be having what I hope will be the first of many conversations about the policy priorities for Marylanders. So there are so many issues to address and far too many to cover in 90 minutes, yet this is an important start. We will be joined by candidates for Governor Rashawn Baker, John Barron, Doug Gansler, Ashwani Jane, John King, and Tom Perez. Candidates Peter Frenshaw and Wes Moore were unable to attend tonight's event. Tom Perez similarly was not able to attend live, but we met with him yesterday along with our moderator this evening to record his responses so that you can hear what he has to say as well. Candidates, I want to thank each of you for taking the time from your undoubtedly busy schedules for this very important topic. Tonight's conversation is being live streamed on our Black Party's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. We invite the audience to interact with each other through the comments and to share, your, to share this feed with your friends. I'm especially excited to have Teslin Figaro with us to moderate tonight's forum. 
As founder of the award-winning Teslin Figueroa Communications Group and Florida Supreme Court Certified Civil, Circuit, and Appellate Conflict Resolution Mediator and Trainer, Teslin provides communication solutions, political consulting, crisis management, and customized training to some of the nation's most influential political, social, and cultural leaders in America. Teslin is a sought-after public speaker with the ability to deliver a prophetic and powerful message that stirs the consciousness of her audience. She is the host of the Straight Shot No Chaser podcast on Charlemagne the God's Black Effect Podcast Network on the largest radio audio platform in America, iHeartRadio. In addition to hosting her weekly Straight Shot No Chaser podcast, Teslin is also a political contributor seen daily in 55 million households on the National Black News 24-hour cable news channel. She is also seen on Revolt Black News and aggressively defends the concerns of Black America on National Fox News. Teslin currently serves as a senior public policy consultant for Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World 2021, attorney Benjamin Crump. In this role, Teslin has led public policy strategy for high-profile Ben Crump law firm clients, including, but not limited to, the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Monroe Byrd, victims of Oklahoma City Officer Hotzclough, victims of the Flint water crisis, and the victims of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting incident. Teslin also serves as a senior advisor for the George Floyd Foundation. Teslin, Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Can uh, Candace. And thank you again to our Black Party, all of the members, staff, state directors, and leadership under Candace and Wes uh, for joining me this evening and allowing me the opportunity. And hello to you, candidates. And number one, I always want to say congratulations for taking the step uh, that many do not do by throwing your hat in the ring and making yourself available to be questioned, critiqued, challenged, and also celebrated. With that said, I'm going to go over a few housekeeping items and we're going to get straight to it. Uh, but as a reminder, this is not a debate. It is a forum. Although I love debates, uh, this was set up to give you an opportunity uh, to be able to be heard uh, from the viewers, in addition to uh, Maryland residents that want to hear directly from you. We're going to cover a variety of topics, and the questions that we are asking tonight is based upon input from the conversations from your Black Maryland voters and community leaders. Each candidate will have one minute for all of your responses, including your introduction and closing remarks. However, I do know that one minute is very hard to keep that type of time, but we will allow you to complete your thought. But please do be respectful to the time and the other candidates that we have this evening and do your best to complete your answer in one minute. If you are going over your time, extended time, I will gently say wrap or you know begin to wrap up uh, so that you are reminded that we need to close up your remark and move on to the next candidate. The purpose of this forum is to understand your vision for Black Maryland residents from a policy perspective. To that end, we urge you to center your answers on Black Maryland voters. This is, after all, our Black Party. We're going to start our introductions again. Please keep your responses to one minute. And we're going to start the introductions in alphabetical order. As we start the questions, I will then stagger the answers. But first, we'll start in ABC order. With that said, Mr. Baker, welcome. Please give us your introduction. 
Thank you. And I want to thank our Black Party for having me uh, today and having the candidates. Uh, certainly, congratulations to uh, Candace. He was a great mayor here in Prince George's County. And so uh, I look forward to uh, answering the questions. Uh, just brief introductions. You know, Rashern Baker, I served eight years in the Maryland House of Delegates. Um, I served on appropriations and the Judiciary Committee. And then for eight years, I served as county executive of the second largest jurisdiction in the state of Maryland um, and the largest African-American uh, county in uh, Prince in, in the state of Maryland. Um, and so many of the issues that we talk about today, um, I face firsthand as county executive. And so I look forward to answering the questions and talking about, you know, my vision for uh, for black America um, and uh, and Maryland. Because I think Maryland can lead the way for the rest of the nation. So uh, look forward to the conversation tonight. Thank you so much, Mr. Baker. Mr. Barron. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here actually on screen. Uh, I'm John Barron. I'm a former nonprofit executive. Uh, before that, I headed a billion-dollar technology program in the Clinton administration. I've been an appointee of two presidents, twice confirmed by the Senate. I've gotten major federal legislation enacted into law that's benefited Maryland and many other states. Um, my career has focused on underserved communities with the goal of closing social and racial gaps in education, economic opportunity, and other areas. My approach to achieving those goals, however, is very different than others because it focuses on expanding programs and policies that don't just sound like good ideas, but have been tested in the real world and shown to make a big difference in people's lives. I'll give you one quick example. When I'm governor, we'll partner with businesses across the state of Maryland to provide effective job training to every young adult in Maryland who wants to advance. If job training's done right in partnership with local businesses focused on fast-growing industries, it has been shown to increase earnings of low-income young adults of color by 40%. That's just one example. We bring proven programs from around the country. Thank you so much, Mr. Barron. Mr. Gansler, while we wait on Mr. Gansler, uh, to uh, he's having some technical difficulties. I'm going to go ahead and ask Mr. Jane, can you go ahead and give us uh, your introduction? And then we will go back to Mr. Gansler and hopefully his technical difficulties will be solved. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ashwani Jane. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a 32-year-old cancer survivor who's also a son of immigrants, a product of Maryland public schools. I've worked in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors and I served in the Obama White House and two federal agencies. I'm running for governor to make our politics more inclusive and accessible. And that's why I've already built one of the largest grassroots campaigns in the state of Maryland. I'm the first statewide candidate in the United States to be 100% volunteer run and make all my events free. I'm in a different county every day through my mobile campaign offices. And since January, I've shared over 150 detailed policies all of which were created by residents who will be impacted by those policies, including my fully paid for Maryland Now plan, which will eliminate your state income tax, make Maryland the very first state to make public transit free, create the nation's very first guaranteed jobs program, legalize marijuana and expunge records, and also impose anti-corruption measures. Full details can be found at janeforgovernor.com, but I'm looking forward to the conversation tonight. Thank you so much, Mr. Jane. Mr. Gansler. I, I believe I believe I'm here. Thank yes, you. Yes, you are here. Oh, great. That's 
which <laughs> woke up on the side of the earth today. Um, thank you for having us. Thank you for our Black Party for doing this. Um, and thank you to Mayor Hongsworth. So um, I grew up in Maryland. I grew up in Montgomery County. I still live in Montgomery County. I was an assistant United States attorney um, under Eric Holder for uh, six years. I was the state's attorney in Montgomery County for eight years. During that time, I began working on police reform um, and, and uh, had an NAACP criminal justice committee beginning in 1989. Uh, ran, uh, became attorney general of Maryland. Uh, did that for eight years, served as president of all the attorneys general in the country. Uh, Co-chair Barack Obama's campaign with Elijah Cummings. Uh, and in the private sector, since leaving office, I've been I started a nonprofit actually 12 years ago. I've been on the board of that in, in, in Baltimore City to provide opportunity for kids uh, in the city, underserved kids and kids of color to um, play lacrosse and, and help advance their careers educationally and athletically. Been on the board of College Track, been on the board of uh, Europe, and really look forward to this dialogue this evening. I will say, uh, as I unfortunately, I do have to jump off at around 7.30, 7.35, but uh, nothing personal uh, prior commitment thing for me. Thank you so much. Mr. King. Thanks so much. Thank you to the Our Black Party for the opportunity to be a part of this conversation. Look, I got into this race for governor really because of a deep belief that public institutions can be transformative in people's lives. I know that because of the role public schools played in my life when I was a kid. Uh, when I was growing up, both my parents were educators, but they both passed away when I was little. My mom when I was eight and my dad when I was 12. In the period when it was just my dad and me, my dad was struggling with undiagnosed Alzheimer's. So home was incredibly difficult. And the thing that saved me was school, great public school teachers. I struggled as a teenager. I actually got kicked out of high school. Uh, but again, it was teachers who could have looked at me and said, here's a black Latino male family in crisis. What chance does he have And given up on me as happens for so many young people, but instead they invested in me. And because of their investment, I had the opportunity to become a teacher and a principal to serve as United States Secretary of Education for President Obama. And since the end of the Obama administration, I've been leading an education civil rights organization. So I'm looking forward to tonight's conversation as an opportunity to talk about a real black agenda and what we can do to advance equity in every system in our state, from healthcare to criminal justice to education. Thank you so much, Mr. King. And now we will listen to Mr. Perez's uh, introduction. Well, thank you, Teslin, and thank you, Candace. I'm so sorry I can't be there with you in person. I so wanted to be there, but I, I had an unavoidable conflict. I am so excited to be here with the Black Party to talk about our agenda for opportunity. You know, when I was uh, nominated and confirmed to be the Labor Secretary of the United States, about a month later, I got to go to the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. And that really sums up what my life's work's been about. It's been about jobs and justice. It's been about jobs, justice, and opportunity, making sure that zip code never determines destiny, making sure that everybody has the opportunity to realize their highest and best dreams. I've spent my entire life fighting for civil rights and labor rights. I'm running for governor so that I can bring jobs and justice to Maryland, so that I can make sure that black Marylanders have access to opportunity, have access to good jobs, have access to health care. As we build a clean energy economy, making sure that black Marylanders benefit from that, making sure we have procurement reform so that economic development is available everywhere, making sure that 
we live up to our full potential as a state. That's why I am running. That has been my life's work, jobs and justice. And that will be my life's work as your governor if I have the privilege of being elected. Thank you so much to Mr. Perez. We will get straight to the questions. I will stagger uh, the questions and uh, throw the responses back to you to have an opportunity uh, to answer. Again, please keep your minutes within the one minute or so time frame. I will gently say wrap if uh, we are going above that, uh, beyond that time, but please do feel free to finish your thought. The first question is, next, Mr. Gansler, I'll start with you. Next to people power, a Black agenda relies on policies developed at all levels of government. The reality is that government as we know it has been designed by white actors for the purpose of ensuring continued benefits to those who have, be it money, land, or power. The doing things the way we've always done them only serves to reinforce existing inequities and at times create new ones. What will fundamentally change with your administration governance to break this cycle? Well, I appreciate the question. I mean, I think what, what fundamentally changes under my administration is that I can actually win the general election. So while the conversation tonight is, is going to be very stimulating and, and very interesting, and I think you know, I think actually the, uh, all the people running for governor, including those that decided not to join tonight, um, are all very much on the same page in terms of <clears throat> what we need to do to help uh, black black Marylanders as well as people of color and all Marylanders. And, and one of the things that I think our, our black party recognizes is that by helping black Marylanders, we help all Marylanders. And so my whole campaign is predicated on the fact that um, I'm the only person in the race with vision um, with with, in a, with experience and with a record of getting things done. So the reason why you'll know I'll be able to get the things done I'm talking about tonight is because I've done, done them before. And that includes, in, in sort of broad strokes, making sure we have access to opportunity for everybody in Maryland, uh, whether in terms of housing, in terms of education, uh, criminal justice, jobs, um, and, and, and health. And so... We need to make sure we do that. I started the first civil rights department in Maryland's history. We we're able to provide access through that, but we really need to do more and we need to make sure we actually win the general election so we have somebody that can get in there and, and work, diversify our government and work toward helping uh, lift the, 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 the boats through the rising tide. Thank you so much. Mr. Perez, what will fundamentally change with the way your administration governs to break this cycle? Well, the first thing that'll uh, change is I will make sure that my administration looks like Maryland. That's what I've done in every job I've had. And I invite you to look at the teams that I have built. You will make, we will make sure that Black Marylanders have a seat at the table, not only in the cabinet, but in every position of, uh, of meaning in the state of Maryland. We will make sure we're consulting with Black Marylanders all the time on issues of importance. We will make sure we measure things. You value what you measure, you measure what you value. So as we do procurement reform, we will set forth those very, very important metrics, and then we will measure that success. As we tackle uh, school issues and healthcare issues, expanding access to health insurance for people, we will be measuring how are we doing now at the moment, and then how have we improved the lives of Black Marylanders? That's what I will do. That's what I have done in every job I have had the privilege of doing in the civil rights and the labor context. And as a result of that, we have been able to improve the lives in meaningful ways for 
Black Americans. And that's what we will do in Maryland for Black Marylanders. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Mr. King, what will fundamentally change the way your administration governs to break this cycle? Uh, look, you know, the, the cycle that you're describing has been with us always in the state. You know, I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, about 25 miles from where my great-grandfather was enslaved in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And the reality is so many of our challenges today are tied to that history of slavery, of segregation, of redlining. We see that in the gaps that we face in healthcare and wealth and criminal justice. But one of the things I think we need to do is make sure that racial equity is at the center of every policy decision. So today, when the General Assembly is considering a bill, they're, they're required to have a fiscal impact statement. What will be the cost of this proposed program? Well, I think every bill that goes before the General Assembly should have a racial equity statement. What implications will this change to housing policy, to transportation policy, to environmental justice? What, what effect will it have on racial equity? We've really got to center um, advancing racial equity as we approach every policy area. Thank you so much. Mr. Jane, what will fundamentally change the way your administration governs to break this cycle? I think this all starts with how we run our campaigns. Uh, and that's why instead of waiting until the election to be inclusive, I'm already engaging residents from the black community from day one of my operation. I'm the first statewide candidate in the nation to be 100% volunteer run and crowdsource, meaning each of the 150 plus policies I have shared since January is fully created by community members and black voters, not consultants or political insiders. 
I've also shared very specific anti-corruption measures as part of my Maryland Now plan, which guarantees that all my campaign events are free. And that after the election, I would ensure that the governor, lieutenant governor, and any of my agency heads cannot own or trade stocks while in office. And I'll also impose a four-year lobbying ban after we leave office. Because at the end of the day, we need to move beyond talking points and we need to make our politics more inclusive and accessible. Thank you. Mr. Baker, what will fundamentally change with the way your administration breaks this cycle? Well, first of all, I want to agree with uh, my friend, Aswani Jane, uh, that we have to move away from just talking about it and actually doing it. Uh, the thing that will fundamentally change is our ticket. Uh, if you look at the ticket I put together, an African-American at the top of the ticket, a Latina at the uh, as lieutenant governor. So that fundamentally will change. Um, and we both understand how important inclusion is. Uh, right now, my running mate, Nancy Navarro, is the only uh, Latina on the uh, on the uh, council in the largest, most diverse council uh, county in the state of Maryland. Um, she's an immigrant from Venezuela who married an immigrant from uh, Haiti and raised two Afro-Latina uh, daughters who went to Howard University. So when we actually pick not just cabinet heads, but when we have the executive staff, and, and as county executive, I understand how government runs. The executive team is the really who puts the, uh, uh, the, the philosophy of the administration forward. And so both Nancy and I understand that we have to have an executive team that looks like, um, that has African Americans at included in there and people of color. Because you can put all the cabinet heads you want and the policy never trickles down. So if we're going to have fundamental change, the type of change that we were able to do in Prince George's County when I was county executive, then we have to understand that the executive staff is where that is. And we have to lead from example. And that's why I'm so pleased to have this uh, first of its kind uh, ticket of color uh, running as running this race. Thank you, Mr. Barron. What will fundamentally change with the way your administration governs to break this cycle? Well, my goal and my whole career has been devoted to reducing racial and social gaps in education, e economic opportunity, other areas, breaking the cycle of poverty and so on. But my approach would be very different than what has been done in the past and very different from the other candidates because I recognize that to achieve those goals, it is simply not enough to roll out yet another unproven plan or program. However well-intentioned, many programs just don't work. We've seen that again and again when the results are actually measured. So to make progress, we have to focus on programs that have been tested in the real world and shown effective. I gave you an example before in, work, in job training. Uh, another one in education is high-quality tutoring for struggling first and second graders. It moves them up toward grade level early in school before their problems become serious. It's been shown extremely effective uh, in populations that are 80% Black or Hispanic. It, under my administration, we would provide high-quality tutoring to every struggling first and second grader in the entire state because it's been shown to make a major difference. Thank you so much. Next question, Mr. Jane, I will start with you. Your administration will inherit implementation of a landmark investment in Maryland's public education, the blueprint for Maryland's future along with Accountability and Implementation, and Implementation Board, AIB. What will early stages of success for Black students look like to you 
and how will you work to ensure it? Yeah, a great question. So this goes back to my education platform, uh, which is found at janeforgovernor.com. As a proud product of Maryland public schools, including a Title I elementary school, I know the importance of ensuring success for students who are marginalized or left out of the conversation. And that's why I want to ensure that we have universal pre-K. We remove SROs from all of our public schools. We prioritize school funding and construction in low-income neighborhoods. We focus on performance-based testing instead of standardized testing. We make community colleges more affordable and accessible. We reduce student debt for both students and educators. And we focus on making housing and transit more affordable and more accessible. It also means making sure that, for example, the student members of the boards of education in every county have equal voting rights. Uh, So again, it's looking at the issue in a very comprehensive and sincere way. And a lot of these things we can do right now. Thank you so much. Mr. King, what will early stages of success for Black students look like to you and how will you work to ensure it? You know, my whole career as an educator, as a teacher, as principal, as Secretary of Education for President Obama has been focused on on equity issues. Uh, We have a huge opportunity with the blueprint. We should see greater equity in resources. Our school districts that are serving the largest numbers of students of color have systematically been under-resourced for generations. We should see very quickly that they are getting the resources they need. Uh, We should see pre-K universal throughout the state. And we should see African-American students having access to high-quality pre-K programs. But we got to do more than just that. Uh, I believe we also need to make sure we diversify the teaching profession. We need to see a lot more black teachers in our schools. Uh, We need to make sure that our curriculum reflects the story of African-American history and black authors. Uh, We have to make sure that uh, we build on the investment in K-12 with universal childcare, birth through five. We need to make sure that black students are getting access to advanced placement courses and quality career technical education at the same rate as other students. And we have to put equity at the center of implementation of the blueprint. Thank you so much. Mr. Barron, what will early signs of success for black students look like to you and how will you work to ensure it? So this would this will be a top priority of my administration. More than a quarter of middle school students in the state of Maryland can't read at a basic level. More than a third can't do basic math. Those numbers are identical to what they were 20 years ago. So we have we've been stuck. The gap between black and white students, the achievement gap in Maryland is substantially worse than national average. We need to do something very different. The blueprint provides an important opportunity with new resources to do that. But the key, it's not just money and resources that's needed. The key piece is to focus that spending on programs and policies that will act, that have been tested and shown to deliver results. I gave the example of tutoring. We would provide it to every struggling first and second grader in the entire state uh, because that's been shown very effective. We would expand proven effective programs like career academies and high poverty schools uh, for high school students. They've been shown to increase long-term earnings 10 years later by $2,500 per person. We would expand KIPP charter schools, um, which have been shown to increase reading and math achievement by five to 10 percentile points in schools that are 95% black or Hispanic. So there are proven approaches to really make a major difference. And if Blueprint is going to do that. We have to focus it not just on well-intentioned programs, but programs that are going to deliver real improvements. 
Thank you so much. Mr. Gansler, what were early signs of success for Black students look like to you, and how will you work to ensure it? Well, the way successful looked to me is when all students, particularly Black Marylanders, Black, black children, African-American children in Maryland, have access to the same opportunities as white children and all children throughout the state. And you can do that by building new schools that look like the ones in Towson and the ones in Potomac in you know, West Baltimore. You can do that by diversifying the faculty as I diversified all my offices when I it was running offices, government offices for 16 years with a premium and a priority on making sure we get the best and the brightest. And for me, diversity uh, is, is the top priority amongst that. We need to make sure we have universal pre-K. We need to make sure we have universal childcare so that we, because we all know that by the time the children show up in kindergarten, the way it is now from underserved communities and, and black children in particular, the, the, the achievement gap is so wide that can never be uh, brought back. I, I, you know, and, and we have to make sure that children are safe in their schools on the way to school so that they can uh, learn in a healthy environment. You know, when I, I, I mentioned I started uh, Charm City Lacrosse and I did it about 12 years ago. And we, we had a kid uh, named Tavon who was, you know, all these kids were great athletes. We have five, 600 kids. Uh, we did it because we, all the other schools were, were getting kids into college and, 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 you know, whether it's Gilman or Georgetown Prep or what have you. I had a, a coach come down. This kid was a phenomenal player. He looked in the eye, as smart as could be. And then we got him tested. And he was in fourth grade and he couldn't read. So we couldn't get him into one of the private schools that wanted him because he couldn't read. And we were setting him up uh, for failure. That's just unacceptable. I've tried to do something about it in my past, and I'll do something about it in the future. Thank you so much, Mr. Gansler. Mr. Perez, what were early signs of success for Black students look like to you, and how will you work to ensure it? Well, you'll see funding. Uh, you'll see funding going to Prince George's County and Baltimore City, other areas where uh, Black students are heavily impacted. You will see um, investments in infrastructure so that our school construction dollars are enabling uh, schools in Baltimore City and elsewhere uh, to be schools in which you can learn, where it's not 90 degrees uh, on a school day. You will see as we move forward, uh, partnerships with our HBCUs because we have to build the pipeline of teachers of color. And so I want to work closely with our HBCUs, with our community colleges. I want to establish scholarship programs, loan forgiveness programs that will enable uh, teachers of color to have those pathways to opportunity. Those are examples of things that you will see early on that will demonstrate our commitment to making sure that Black Marylanders have a seat at the table and that zip code never determines destiny. So much, Mr. Baker, what were early signs of success for Black students look like to you and how will you work to ensure it? Uh, first of all, you know, we what we've known uh, even before we had the blueprint for Maryland, um, we had the Thornton Commission, which told us that there were areas around our state where children of color, especially African-American and Latino kids, um, were not getting a quality education. And now COVID has just highlighted the fact that these children were left further and further behind. And so what I would do, success to me is one, targeting those areas, you know, with dollars. Um, you can't target the entire state. Let's go to the areas that COVID has now let us know where children are falling behind. This is something we did in Prince George's County um, this is something that my running mate, Nancy Navarro, did in Montgomery County. Um, success to us in the county 
uh, was one, attendance. When we saw our children attending school, because you can't graduate and learn if you're not actually in the school. When we saw truancy drop, when we saw health uh, increase, one of the things that we did was actually put more of our social workers and our health um, uh, nurses into our schools so that not only the children, but the families could get that because it's a family support. The other thing is we talk about resources and money going into the into the four walls of a school. It's not just that that's going to make it better for our children. Um, they live in communities that, you know, where that are challenging. All three of my children went to public school in Prince George's County. Some went to really great schools. Some went to challenging schools. But what my wife always said to me is, uh, we had our kids in these challenging schools. I'd make it better because I want to make sure and I understood a sense of urgency of making it better for my kids. Thank That's you. the way I want people to feel about the education system. Thank you so much. Mr. Perez, how should your administration be held accountable if it continues with these failures? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is make sure we have an equity and procurement director who will be accountable for this, who will work across state government to make sure that we are meeting our goals. Our goals haven't been updated since uh, 2013. 29% is clearly not enough. We can do more. And here are the things that we can do. Um, unbundling large contracts is um, a practice elsewhere that has expanded opportunity uh, for Black-owned businesses moving forward requiring the Office of Procurement to give a reason when you are granting a waiver. Waivers have all too frequently uh, become the rule and not the exception. And we've got to stop that. And that's why our equity and procurement director is going to work tirelessly to make sure that uh, that doesn't happen. Expanding the pool of eligible uh, people, making sure that we are providing the necessary a training so that people know how to access the program. The program is way too opaque for people. We need to make it transparent so that everybody has access uh, to these opportunities. We are an important purchaser of goods and services. We live our values through these actions. And that's why this procurement reform, equitable procurement, will be a big part of what we do in my administration. Thank you. And there were some technical difficulties. So the first part of the question uh, was not heard, so I will repeat it. And Mr. Baker, I will start with you with this question. For the past 20 years, Maryland's goal for minority business procurement has been between 25 and 29%, with the majority of state agencies barely meeting half that goal. How will your administration ensure that the state meets or exceeds its procurement goals, specifically with Black-owned businesses? And how should your administration be held accountable if these, if it continues these failures? Well, first of all, I was in the legislature when we actually moved those goals up, knowing that even by moving the goals, which is a target, up to, you know, 20, 20%, 25%, um, that they weren't being met. So one of the lessons I learned as an executive is that you can't just leave it to the goals. And so in Prince George's County, what we did on a statewide project, which is MGM, we actually had 50% of the job that went to African-American businesses, local businesses, both in Prince George's County and throughout the state. And the reason is because we didn't accept what was going on at the state level. Um, you can't simply just put somebody in charge. I learned that my first year as county executive. You can have all the policies and philosophy you want. Um, and you can have a director that says they're going to do it. 
if you don't have oversight at the executive level in those meetings um, with the executive team, then you're not going to get it done. And I learned that the hard way. So the year after that, we actually had our procurement and making sure that we had African-American businesses participating, not just in construction, not just in leasing, but throughout the continuing process. So as um, governor, I understand it takes more than just talk, that you need to have someone uh, like, you know, a council member, Mel Franklin, who helped us draft the law that we use and push through the county council uh, to make sure every day you're holding the state uh, accountable to it. And the way that you hold yourself accountable is, and we did this, is meeting with businesses once a month, not just the people who are happy with you, but everybody and doing it yourself. I did it as county executive. I got some really good feedback and criticism that helped us change the way we were doing things. And that's what I would do as governor. Thank you. And I'll repeat at least the bottom part of the question, because I know this was a longer question. Mr. Gansler, how will your administration ensure that the state specifically with black owned businesses? How should your administration be held accountable if it continues these failures? Well, I love uh, listening to County Executive Baker because he and I had actually run government offices and, and it's just like, yeah, that's right. And in fact, I hired Mel Franklin I, and, and, at the Attorney General's office because I think, and I mentioned that because I think it's important not to just have, you know, some cabinet level positions and uh, high level folks, but all the way through government, that those that are making the decisions about procurement and who to hire. And I, and I got to say, you know, you talk about 25 to 29% um, and it's, we're barely, we're meeting barely half that. Even those half, even that half, I would like to look a little deeper and say, hey, is that one of these deals where they're sending the black guys to the meeting and then coming back and all the guys sitting in the office are white? And we really have to make sure we're enforcing and promoting uh, black owned businesses. And that's going to be a huge priority for me. When I was attorney general, I was the head of all the attorneys general for the United States. And we ran, uh, we had the national mortgage foreclosure crisis. And I actually worked with county executive Baker in Prince George's as well as in Baltimore to take the almost $2 billion I was able to get to come to Maryland to fight the big banks to keep people in their homes away from being forfeited, uh, forfeiting their homes and, and uh, being thrown foreclosed upon. And I think that's the kind of leadership that we need. Somebody who's done it before, so you know they can do it again. Somebody that has actual experience in statewide government, who understands how to use the levers of government to help black-owned businesses, to make sure we hire not just subs, but primes that are black, that we uh, help our small businesses, that we stop the, the sole, uh, sole contract in the procurement area. In my practice right now, my the private sector practice, I represent black-owned businesses, and I take on the state government all the time because of the, the ineffectiveness and inefficiencies and really tough policies that hurt black-owned businesses in the state. So I can't wait to help reform the uh, procurement process. Thank you so much. And as a reminder, everyone, if you can keep your minute, your responses to about a minute, uh, you will hear me say gently, thank you. Uh, but I am wanting you to complete your thoughts so that we are best serving our voters. Mr. Jane, how will your administration ensure that the state meets or exceeds its procurement goals, specifically with black owned businesses? How should your administration be held accountable if it continues these failures? Yeah, so we need to look at this issue in a very comprehensive way. As someone who comes from a minority-owned small business operating in Prince George's County, I have often seen that there's a false notion that what's good for employers is bad for employees and vice versa. Uh, the reality is both can benefit if we have elected officials that are addressing the issue comprehensively. 
That means increasing access to startup capital and branch banking for black, brown, women, disabled, veteran, and LGBTQ entrepreneurs. It also means making the procurement process much more transparent and inclusive. Uh, It also means raising the minimum wage and protecting collective bargaining rights. And it means enacting my Maryland Now plan, part of which will create the nation's first guaranteed jobs program, make public transit free, and eliminate the state income tax for 95% of Marylanders. And you can hold me accountable for all of these because I've shared these fully paid for details since January on my website. And everything about my campaign is run directly by Black residents and community members. Thank you so much. Mr. King, how will your administration ensure that the state meets or exceeds its procurement goals, specifically with Black-owned businesses? How should your administration be held accountable if it continues these failures? Yeah, look, we need comprehensive procurement reform. When I talk to business owners of color, I hear about the challenges they face. Three, Three that come up most often. One is a lack of information, lack of transparency on the part of state government about how you access the procurement process. Two is the use of emergency waivers to allow um, contracts to go around the procurement process and to be awarded without the procurement process. We've got to eliminate that uh, and only use that in rare exceptions. It's been overused by the Hogan administration. And, And the third thing you hear about is the issue of bundling, that if contracts are uh, put together across multiple services, it makes it so only the largest corporations can compete. We ought to unbundle those services so that more Black-owned small businesses can compete for those contracts. But beyond procurement reform, we also have to do a much better job as a state helping small business owners access capital. And this is a particular challenge given the racial wealth gap for Black-owned businesses. I think we should create a state bank uh, that would make it easier for uh, folks to access capital because the state bank would hold the state assets and work together with community banks to make resources available so that folks can start and grow businesses here in Maryland. Thank you so much, Mr. Baer. And how will your administration ensure that the state meets or exceeds its procurement goals, specifically with Black-owned businesses? How should your administration be held accountable if it continues these failures? Well, I I agree with what's been said here, what Rushroom said, and in particular, that uh, it's more than just goals. You can set goals, but It does take leadership from the top and understanding that this is the priority, and it would be for me as governor. Um, But even more than that, it requires changing the machinery of of the government contracting process, the procurement process. Often when uh, the current process results in established incumbent companies who are generally not minority or women-owned, they have an, an advantage, a natural advantage, because they understand the arcane rules of government for, you know, working with the state, doing a contract, um, and they often have established relationships. So we need reforms to make the process more open and competitive so that minority-owned businesses can compete effectively. So there are a number of proposals, I think very promising proposals that are out there. I'll just mention one that uh, uh, Mayor Adams and also Delegate uh, Learman have proposed which is to reduce um, uh, single bid contracts where you're only dealing with one one person in the procurement process and emergency contracts. Um, And there are other ways of making the process more transparent. It should be straightforward, easy, not complicated, and the decision should be made on the merits in in contracting 
so that so that small minority companies have an opportunity to compete against established incumbents. Thank you so much. This next question will start with Mr. Perez. Black people are disproportionately represented in the state's residents living in poverty and experiencing homelessness. Poverty is not merely an opportunity issue. It is a money issue. What is your plan to address poverty and homelessness for black people across the state and particularly those living in the state's metropolitan areas? I've spent a good portion of my life addressing this precise issue, uh, poverty, homelessness, opportunity. Uh, one thing that we can do that will help advantage uh, Black Marylanders is make sure we are continuing to ex invest in collective bargaining. Um, black membership in the union movement has enabled Black Marylanders to punch their ticket to the middle class. I want to make sure we continue that. We have a remarkable opportunity to create $30, $40 an hour jobs in offshore wind. I want to make sure that we're expanding career and technical education so that those opportunities are available to Black Marylanders. I want to make sure we have um, a paid leave system in place so that uh, that will help Black Marylanders. I want to make sure we continue um, to invest in affordable housing so that Black Marylanders have access to this. I, I took on predatory lenders, Wells Fargo and others, when I was uh, at Maryland Department of Labor and at the U.S. Department of Justice. We need to make sure we are actively enforcing anti-discrimination laws so that Black people in Maryland and elsewhere are not victimized once again. We have to make the American dream more accessible by addressing appraisal issues, by ensuring that we provide assistance for uh, down payments. There's a host of interventions we can put in place to help people. A good job, a strong economy, a strong union movement, available, accessible uh, housing, affordable housing. That's how we can move forward in this important question for Black Marylanders. Mr. Gansler, what is your plan to address poverty and homelessness for Black people across the state, and particularly those living in the state's metropolitan areas? Yeah, I think one of the um, silver linings of COVID is that, that folks that had their head in the sand or just didn't want to uh, see what was going on around them had realized the inequities that exist out there. And there have been systematic inequities that started in the 1600s, as we know. And so there's a real opportunity as we rebuild from COVID to do so, making sure we take care of uh, and tap into the talents of all Marylanders, particularly those in poverty and even those that are homeless. We start with having to um, recognize that the inextricable link between in, of homelessness between substance abuse, mental illness, and poverty, um, and, and we have to address all of those uh, at the same time. We have to, as some people have talked about, we need to talk about uh, pre-K substance abuse we need to deal with. and and. We also need to focus on two particular categories of folks, which are our returning veterans and our returning citizens. We put way too many people in jail. That's why I started drug courts in Montgomery County, and we'll have drug courts throughout the state to keep people out of jail. But we need to make sure that we do focus on those issues. Now, in terms of the metropolitan space, um, Baltimore has suffered immeasurably. Uh, it, it's, so, it's, it's incredibly unsafe now and people just won't go there because crime is, is really outdistancing all the other issues there under the Republican leadership in the last eight years. If I don't win the primary and therefore we, we don't get the governor's chair back, Baltimore's going to continue to suffocate. We can't have that. Each and every homeless person is, is somebody we should care about. So we need to make sure we get out and vote and we win the governor's chair back.
you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Mr. Barron, what is your plan to address poverty and homelessness for Black people across the state, and particularly those living in the state's metropolitan areas? So the poverty rate today in Maryland is 9%. You know what it was in 1995? It was 9%. Because for low and moderate income Marylanders who are disproportionately people of color, they have seen stagnant wages since the 1980s while income inequality has been growing. And going back to the poverty rate for a second, it is 50, not only is it stagnant, but it is 50% higher for black Marylanders than it is for the general population. So I just want to underscore the enormity and the long lasting nature of this problem. It's not a, not a small issue. Um, everyone has had a new plan to solve these problems, but you know, it's been decades. We're still mired in the same problems that are harming the lives of millions. We need to do something very different. That's what I'm offering. I'm offering not just one new plan after another. I'm offering ideas that have been tested and shown effective. One of my biggest ideas in the areas of wages and poverty, to elaborate on what I described earlier, is a statewide partnership with businesses to provide effective job training to every young adult in the entire state of Maryland who wants to advance. If job training is done right, it can be extremely effective, increasing earnings, as I mentioned, by 20 to 40 percent for low income young adults of color. The key is to focus that training on fast growing industries like IT or healthcare, and to work very closely with local employers who provide paid internships to the trainees. Thank you. So under my plan, the state's going to pay for the training. The businesses pay for the internships. The economy gets skilled workers. Everyone benefits from this. Thank you. 
Mr. Jane, what is your plan to address poverty and homelessness for Black people across the state, and particularly those living in the state's metropolitan areas? Yeah, so this touches on my housing plan. Uh, as one of President Obama's White House liaisons at U.S. HUD, I helped build a team that worked on expanding affordable housing programs throughout our state. That's why my specific housing plan has three parts, increasing affordability, availability, and sustainability of housing. With affordability, I talk about immediate relief, expanding our MPDU program, and also dedicated funding for nonprofits. With availability, I talk about smart growth and mixed-use development, not just single-family housing, but multifamily housing, and prohibiting discrimination based on source of income. And finally, with sustainability, I talk about increasing forbearance notifications, increasing the eviction filing fees, making sure we have just cause protections in place, and my Maryland Now plan, which will reduce the cost of living by eliminating the state income tax for 95% of Marylanders, creating a guaranteed jobs program, and guaranteeing free public transit. And you can go to janeforgovernor.com to hold me accountable. Thank you. Mr. King, what is your plan to address poverty and homelessness for Black people across the state, and particularly those living in the state's metropolitan areas? You know, one of the most important functions of government is to take on this issue and try to protect people from crises that happen inevitably in their lives. Um, a few weeks ago, I was with CASA sleeping outside in Annapolis overnight to protest the governor's failure to keep in place the emergency protections from eviction. So we're going to see more people who are homeless as a result of the governor's failure to keep that emergency protection in place. Uh, we ought to use some of the two and a half billion dollar surplus to address the immediate needs that continue amidst this COVID crisis uh, for food assistance, for housing assistance, for child care assistance. And then structurally, we've got to take on the challenges in our economy that are a real obstacle for folks. Uh, we need a living wage that's adjusted for inflation. Uh, we need paid family leave so that when folks have a new baby or a sick loved one, they can take time from work and not fear losing their job. We need to invest in the state's housing trust fund so that we're increasing the supply of housing that folks can actually afford. We need to invest in public transportation so that people can get to work and to family and to visit their doctor uh, affordably. Uh, we need to make sure that folks can have access to community college programs and apprenticeship programs that are funded by the government that help them get access to good jobs that are available in areas like cybersecurity and the new green jobs and renewable energy. We need to make it a priority for government to intervene in this moment of crisis to help address longstanding structural challenges. Thank you so much. Mr. Baker, what is your plan to address poverty and homelessness for Black people across the state, and particularly those living in the state's metropolitan areas? Well, thank, thank you for the question. Um, for me, it's not a plan. It's something that we actually did. One of the things, or uh, several of the things I'm most proud about our time in Prince George's County was we were at the bottom of the rung when it came to job creation. Um, by the time that my administration came to an end, uh, we had led the state five years in a row in job creation. That means more people, more black people had jobs uh, than when I came into office. And we were leading the state, majority black uh, jurisdiction. Housing, we put more affordable and workforce house around Prince George's County so that we could actually address those issues of housing. And we were one of only two jurisdictions that actually raised the minimum wage at the same time we were creating jobs. The other jurisdiction was Montgomery County where my running mate, Nancy Navarro, 
was leading the efforts over there. Um, and healthcare. You can't do any of this and talk about homelessness and um, without dealing with healthcare, which is why we built a regional healthcare center that not only affected the county, but also affected uh, Charles County. It was a state hospital, state regional healthcare center. The other thing that I want to talk about, I think um, uh, Attorney General Doug Gansford touched on, and I think he's right. You have to talk about our returning citizens and our veterans. One of the programs we put in place for our returning citizens who come back to our neighborhoods without ID, without training, is we put a one-stop shop in the neighborhood where they could get dental care, health care, job training. We actually did it. Um, they can get their education in our community college all there so they don't have to leave. They Thank can you. get their ID. And so those are the things that I have done and would do as governor. Thank you so much. I'll start this question with you, uh, Mr. Gansler. I do understand you have said in advance that you have only a few more minutes left with us. I will ask you this last question before you go. Uh, Maryland has a strong ecosystem. Okay, good. Maryland has a strong ecosystem of nonprofit organizations that work to support individuals, families, and communities when government does not or cannot. An additional subset is responsible for preserving the history and legacy of Black culture. However, many Black-led organizations experience additional burdens to access and funding, particularly government funding, to support their important work. How will your administration lead in achieving equity for Black-led and Black-centered organizations in state grant-making? Um, thank you. Yeah, so um, in terms of the nonprofits, when I was Attorney General, we actually regulated our nonprofits, and we do have so many nonprofits in Maryland and many of them, thankfully, are focused on Black Marylanders. Many of them are run by Black Marylanders. But we also need to make sure that you know our, our budget is a moral document. And we need to make sure that we're supporting our budget that does help nonprofits. And we can do it through government agencies. And that requires somebody who understands the levers of government and how to work the levers of government, has the relationships in uh, in the legislature. I mean, the governor should not be anybody's starter job. Nobody wants somebody that's inexperienced when we're coming out of a, a crisis that, that is COVID that we're in now and a crisis that's in the criminal justice system. Nobody wants somebody that hasn't uh, been in the criminal justice system and involved in that. When I was, um, But there is a real a strong relationship and nexus between being in government and being able to start nonprofits. We started the Family Justice Center in Montgomery County where I state's attorney there, and, and we're going to take that throughout the, the state as well because it's a wraparound services for families and, and serves people of color and black black owners in particular. Um, and so uh, we need, I think that's that's one of the things that we need to do uh, as governor. We need to make sure that we have uh, we get someone at DBM and assistant secretary level that actually coordinates all the nonprofits in the state, who, what, where, and how that they can get their money, so we can really streamline the process and make sure that where, where people are willing and able, people like John King and Westmore and some others in this race. That, that have worked with uh, nonprofits, that we support their efforts through state government. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time and in advance letting us know that you will need to leave at this particular time uh, for a pre-appointment. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sorry I have to leave early. No worries. Thank you so much. Mr. King, how will your administration lead in achieving equity for Black-led and Black-centered organizations in state grant making? Yeah, you know, when you think about 
the experience we had as a state around COVID and COVID vaccine distribution. One of the lessons that we learned as a state is how effective community-based organizations that are close to uh, folks that know folks that have their trust, how effective they were in helping with vaccine distribution. That should be a lesson to us. We should be investing in community-based organizations as our partners to deliver universal childcare, as our partners to deliver reentry services to support those who are returning home from incarceration to help them find housing, find good jobs. Uh, those community-based organizations should be our partners in addressing food insecurity. They should be our partners in helping people navigate access to government assistance, like the rental assistance that the federal government has made available uh, to address the COVID emergency. So we've really got to think about community-based organizations, nonprofits as uh, a part of the public sector that's trying to address people's shared needs. Uh, we also have to make sure that community-based organizations, nonprofits can access the capital they need uh, to, to grow their services. Uh, and oftentimes, unfortunately, philanthropy does not invest enough in organizations that are led by people of color. And so we've really got to make sure that uh, our state resources are helping people to, to navigate access to capital for uh, facilities and, and those kinds of needs. Thank you so much. Mr. Jane, how will your administration lead in achieving equity for Black-led and Black-centered organizations in grant making? Well, as someone who works full-time in a nonprofit right now, I fully understand the importance that nonprofits can have in reaching people where they are and taking care of those who are most vulnerable in our society. Right? These nonprofits also help the government prevent duplicating efforts or wasting public dollars. But we need to have dedicated funding from the government for these nonprofits instead of us having the yearly uncertainty and struggle to match funding from previous years. It also means giving nonprofit leaders a genuine seat at the table before, during, and after the budgeting process. And that goes back to why I'm running the campaign the way I am, to sincerely move beyond just the talking points and empty rhetoric and to show by my actions how serious I am by engaging leaders and individuals from Black-led and Black-centered organizations and nonprofits within every aspect of my campaign and operation. Thank you. Mr. Baker, how will your administration lead in achieving equity for Black-led and Black-centered organizations in state grant making? Well, first of all, I spent the other half of my career uh, working in a nonprofit one as the general counsel and special assistant to uh, a nonprofit uh, that did community development, housing development, and uh, job training. And then eight years with the national nonprofit around uh, education reform. So I understand it. And as county executive, one of the things I understood is that, especially in Prince George's County, uh, which does not have a robust um, a nonprofit community, is that we had to bring them together uh, for to see if there's synergy between the nonprofits and provide a streaming of a streamline of funds to those nonprofits. And so we did that. Um, as governor, I would do the same thing across the state to make sure that we're uh, targeting uh, the nonprofits. So there actually is money, not just programmatic, because a lot of people can give you programmatic money, but it's the administrative money so that they actually can go after some of the grants and some of the uh, some of the non the philanthropic 
uh, opportunities out there. Um, but we also want to make sure that we're we're something you touch, touched on in the question, and that is it's not just it's the arts and culture that are important because we can actually fund these nonprofits that will help economic development in our areas like Prince George's County or like what Nancy Navarro did in Wheaton in Montgomery County and what we did in Suitland in Prince George's County, what Baltimore is doing. So we have to make sure that we one have leadership at the at the state level that understands this and brings everybody together. Thank you so much, Mr. Barron. How will your administration lead lead in achieving equity for black led and black centered organizations in state grant making? Well, I want to be clear that I would bring a fundamentally different approach to governing and to funding in state governments based on the funds would go towards programs and policies that, again, don't just sound like good ideas, but have been tested and shown to be effective now and particularly have been shown effective in underserved populations, including communities of color. Ideally, that is a situation and it should be prioritized where it's a uh, the program is led by or developed by uh, a person of color. I'll give you one example uh, of what we would do. There is a program that was developed by an African-American cardiologist in Los Angeles that pairs black barbershops with pharmacists. So when patrons come in to get their hair cut, they get screened for high blood pressure. And if needed, they get medication. It was shown to reduce the rate of uncontrolled high blood pressure, which is a leading killer of black men by more than 50%. That's a huge effect and very big public health impact. We should be doing that across the state of Maryland. So that's the ideal situation. And that's a situation, it's a black, it, it was developed by a black gentleman, a, a doctor. Um, uh, there are others that are uh, developed by African-Americans, some by uh, people who are not of color, but have been shown to be very effective for underserved populations. And we should prioritize those as well. Thank you so much. Mr. Perez, how will your administration lead in achieving equity for Black-led and Black-centered organizations in state grant making? I've spent a lot of time in Maryland in the nonprofit sector. I uh, was board chair for an organization that helped immigrants coming to Maryland from around the world, uh, from the African continent, from uh, Latin America, Central America, and elsewhere. So I, I, I love this question because I think the state can play a really, really catalytic role in helping make sure we preserve our heritage, we understand our history, and we never repeat the mistakes of history. And we help emerging communities move forward. So I'm committed uh, to creating a fund that's dispersed in partnership uh, with local community-based organizations so that we can make sure that in every zip code across the state where we have um, black populations, other communities of color, that we are addressing those needs. Whether it's uh, in Talbot County there, we, we had a longstanding um, um, campaign to finally remove uh, a, a monument that was a, a monument to the Confederacy. And the nonprofit sector there played such an important role. These are examples of things we need to do. When we, when we invest in communities in this way, we help expand healthcare. We help expand educational opportunity. We help expand opportunity uh, to learn, to earn, and to participate in civic life. And as someone who has done this uh, in Maryland for a long time, uh, this is near and dear to my heart. And I want to make sure we continue to grow it 
And I will do that as governor. Thank you, Mr. Perez. To our viewers who are watching, bear with us. We only have two more questions, so we ask that you hang in. But while you are listening, please be sure to share this link right now to five friends on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube to make sure that folks are tapping in, in in addition to your Instagram. The next question, I will start with Mr. Barron. Many have called the 18 months since George Floyd's murder a period of racial reckoning in this country. Yet, since that time, we have seen a lack of follow-through on financial pledges from corporations, a decline in public sentiment and support of defending Black life, and in Maryland, for example, a doubling down on the investments in law enforcement under the banner of Refund the Police. Nationally, we saw an uptick in the conversation about race and equity as we approached the presidential elections and in the Georgia Senate runoff. After that, however, legislation demanded by Black voters has since stalled with the absence of executive leadership. In Maryland, Black voters make up 43% of the Democratic electorate and 31% of the electorate overall. In short, is it possible for Black voters to hear promises during a primary election that becomes compromises during a general election? What message do you have to non-Black voters who consider themselves allies about their role in this election and ensuring the integrity of your commitment to Black voters? So it's a great question. First of all, I just want to make clear that I will pick a cabinet that reflects the full racial diversity of Maryland. That's number one. I've, I've made that pledge. Number two, in terms of, I, this is an extremely important issue. It's a matter of basic human rights. Uh, we've all seen the inequities in the criminal justice system. Um, it, it's, it's not just human rights, basic human rights. It's a matter in some cases of life and death. So uh, it is a top priority for me. One of the, uh, and I was actually very proud of Maryland, the legislature, for the uh, sweeping police reforms that were enacted including um, changing the use of force standard, enhanced police training, screening, body-worn cameras, independent investigations of police misconduct. The piece that I would bring in the implementation of those reforms that is, I believe, critical to their success is a focus on evidence about what works and what doesn't. So in the area of police training, for instance, there are many different kinds of training, procedural justice training, use of force training, implicit bias training, uh, de-escalation training. Um, do they actually work? Which of them actually work best to reduce police use of force and increase community trust? We really don't know. Those are testable. That's what I would do as governor. We would test those, see which are most effective, expand them, which are not effective, and we would either retry, re revise them, retest them, or move on to something else. But that's the way to make these reforms ever more effective over time. Thank you so much. Mr. Baker, what message do you have to non-Black voters who consider themselves allies about their role in this election and ensuring your integrity of your commitment to Black voters? Well, I think they have to be willing to, and I said this to my children during um, the the racial awakening, and um, I, I think Maryland is in a prime position to actually deal with this and show the rest of the nation how to deal with it. And that requires not only African-Americans and people of color here, that requires everybody in Maryland who understands this vividly to do the things that we did when I was county executive. One, before we even saw Ferguson, we revamped our police department. We put more emphasis on de-escalating and we had a police department that had a history 
of racial injustice and and uh, and and shooting of unarmed African Americans. But we changed that around, and we changed it around where we were able to actually reduce homicides in the county by fifty percent, but also reduce the number of arrests. We also didn't increase the amount of money we split spent in our uh, police department. Instead, we put more emphasis on healthcare for residents, job training, transportation, and those things. So what, what I would say to the non-white, re- to the non-African American or people of color, how can we help? That is to understand that we need to make fundamental changes in our system here in the state of Maryland, and we can do it. Um, my running mate comes from the second largest, ju- the largest jurisdiction and the most diverse jurisdiction. That's a reality. And so having folks embrace that um, as we um, make policies is going to be very important. So for me, it's actually speaking with how we not only appoint people, but how we actually invest in, in programs. And so um, that's what I would say to our folks to support us. Thank you. Mr. Perez, what message do you have to non-Black voters who consider themselves allies about their role in this election and ensuring the integrity of your commitment to Black voters? My message to um, all voters is to look at my record. My my entire life's work has been about jobs and justice. I've never hesitated to take on tough fights. I prosecuted an LAPD officer pre-Rodney King. That's how long ago I was doing police reform work. I took on predatory lenders. When I was the head of the Civil Rights Division, I settled the two largest fair lending cases in the history of the Fair Housing Act including one involving Wells Fargo, where I insisted that we settle a case that enabled thousands of Baltimore residents, black residents of Baltimore, who had been victimized by unscrupulous practices to get the necessary relief. I have spent my life fighting for health care for uninsured populations, disproportionately populations of black and brown people. This has been my life work, making sure that the right to vote is sacrosanct. That has been my life work. And so to all Marylanders, I would say to you, we must join this effort together. Civil rights remains the unfinished business of America. We have a long way to go in the battle for economic opportunity, for racial justice. And as your governor, this will be a top priority. I applaud the Democrats in the legislature who passed police reform, who who passed the Kerwin blueprint, who did so much to address racial equity. You did it without any help from the governor. I will be that partner. That's what we need in Maryland, a partner with a proven track record in. I believe we must be having some technical difficulties. I will proceed on to Mr. King. What message do you have to non-Black voters who consider themselves allies about their role in this election and ensuring the integrity of your commitment to Black voters. I try to share with folks what it feels like to have deep fear as the police officer approaches your car, because you know how many unarmed Black folks have been killed in those police interactions. I try to share what it's like to have to say to your children and your nieces and nephews that they have to think about their interactions with police with a sense of great care uh, about how they interact, what they say, how they hold their body because of those incidents. And then I say that reckoning 
with Black Lives is not enough. We actually have to take the actions to show that Black Lives Matter. The policing reforms that the General Assembly passed, those, those were an important start, uh, but not enough. And the governor's use of this refund the police language, Governor Hogan's use of that language, is really a, a dog whistle. Uh, the truth of the matter is there's no community in the state that's seen a reduction in funding for policing. The question is, are we investing in the other things that would help us to actually achieve public safety? Are, are we investing enough in violence prevention, addiction treatment, mental health services, summer jobs programs for young people, reentry supports for folks who are returning from incarceration? Are we investing enough in apprenticeship programs and job training programs at community colleges that help people access economic opportunity? Are we investing in public transit so folks can get to where their jobs are? Governor Hogan canceled the Red Line Project in Baltimore City, locking people out of access to jobs, and then complains about issues of crime and violence, not recognizing that policy choices have created the environment we face. So we need a much more ambitious response as a state to actually fulfill the promise that Black Lives Matter. Thank you. Thank you so much for that answer. Mr. Jane, what message do you have to non-Black voters who consider themselves allies about their role in this election and ensuring the integrity of your commitment to Black voters? Look, as a starting point, we need to show non-Black voters that it's not radical to, to demand accountability when Black and brown people are being murdered by public servants. Secondly, Black voters deserve to have a governor who can be held accountable, who's detailed in the policies proposed, is very accessible, and genuinely includes them in the decision-making process. That's why I'm running an entirely volunteer-run campaign, engaging Black and non-Black voters from day one into every aspect of my operation. That's also why I've shared a comprehensive criminal justice platform since January, which strengthens the coalitions between Black and non-Black voters. This includes ending extreme sentences for children, ending the money bail system, ending for-profit prison contracts, treating opioid and drug use as a disease, not as a crime, investing more mental health professionals inside the school and in our criminal justice systems, preparing those in prison for life outside of prison, limiting the influence of ICE, having independent oversight, and eliminating our SROs looking at issues in a comprehensive way and being detailed and specific in these solutions. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, Keep going, because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. 
State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And that brings us to our last question. And Mr. Jane, you hit on it when you said detailed and being specific. That is exactly the last question that I have for tonight. Tonight, we've heard Black people referred to as people of color. In fact, we've heard it multiple times in all of our politics on the local, state, and the federal level. We also hear that once we lift all tides, that all of the boats will rise. Do you understand that based upon statistics, that the Black community is often left out, even when other communities of color are lifted? Do you understand that if elected, What will you do in your administration? And even if you're not elected, what will you do in your administration to ensure that a specific Black agenda, not people of color, not disenfranchised, Black agenda, since this is our Black party, what will you do to ensure that a Black agenda is delivered? Mr. King, we'll start with you. I hope people will go to our website, johnkingforgovernor.com, and look at our Black agenda. We've tried to lay out very specifically what needs to happen in economic development, in education, in criminal justice, and healthcare to tackle the very real disparities experienced by Black Marylanders. And as I share, my, my family has lived those experiences, both Uh, the reality of the cruelty of the institution of slavery. But my grandmother also graduated from the University of Maryland Eastern Shore in 1894. And we realize in our family how powerful HBCUs are as an engine of social mobility. Uh, in In this campaign, what I hope folks will do is look very specifically at what candidates are committed to do, their willingness to be specific. There are a lot of platitudes, a lot of talk about things folks did long ago What I want to know is what are people going to do to tackle the very real challenges that Marylanders are experiencing? And we should elect a candidate who's committed to transformative leadership that finally advances us towards racial justice. Thank you so much, Mr. Perez. If elected, what will you do in your administration? Or even if you are not elected, how will you continue to use your influence to ensure that a Black agenda is delivered? Well, I certainly understand that uh, Black people feel that way because the facts support it. Uh, we have the highest incarceration rate of Black men in the United States. Look at the racial disparities in maternal infant mortality uh, here in Maryland. We can do so much better for Black Marylanders in this state. And that's why I invite you to go to TomPerez.com and look at our Black agenda. Our Black agenda is truly about opportunity. Our Black agenda, when we have every person in this state having health insurance, and I have a plan to do that, Black Marylanders will be the primary beneficiary because when you look at the ranks of the currently uninsured, Black Marylanders are disproportionately represented. 
when we invest in making sure that every school has gifted and talented and um, AP offerings for their students, that will help schools where we have very, very high percentages of Black Marylanders. The, when we address uh, economic justice, uh, environmental justice, I should say, uh, making sure that uh, communities where we have disproportionate Black populations that have been disproportionately impacted by climate instances and, and racial injustice, that's how we will help Black Marylanders. So please go to TomPerez.com to look at our Black agenda, because our Black agenda is all about making sure that zip code never again determines destiny. And this has been a big part of my life's work and will continue to be moving forward, whether I. Thank you, Mr. Jane, if elected, what will you do in your administration? Or even if you are not elected, how will you use your influence to ensure that a black agenda is delivered? The most sincere and genuine thing that I can do to prove my commitment to black Marylanders from every county is by sharing my very detailed and specific and comprehensive policy proposals. About 11 months ago, since day one, when I launched my campaign back in January, it's by making every single event I host on my campaign free and accessible so that you can meet me, share your concerns, and ask questions directly from me. And it's by giving you, Black Marylanders, a real seat at the table, not just in my future administration, but in my current campaign from day one. You will not be lied to or forgotten about or gaslit because you're already integrated into every single aspect of my campaign both policy-wise, strategy, and outreach-wise. Thank you. Mr. Baker, if elected, what will you do in your administration? Or even if you are not elected, how will you use your influence to ensure that a Black agenda is delivered? Well, since I've graduated from law school at Howard University, I've been working on a Black agenda. I started my career working in some of the most challenging areas in D.C., which are all Black, and working on homelessness, working on housing, uh, affordability, working on job creation. And that led to the legislature where I represented a uh, majority uh, African-American neighborhood where the issues that we faced were our quality of our schools, healthcare, job training, transportation in these neighborhoods. And so as county executive of majority African-American county, every day that we created jobs, we created jobs for African-Americans. Every day that we provided those who didn't have health insurance or were uninsured um, insurance, we were helping African-Americans. Everything we thought about from uh, job creation to transportation to police accountability was all a black agenda to make um, Prince George's County and therefore make Maryland better. I want to do the same thing as governor. I think we can lead the example to make black people's lives better throughout the state of Maryland and show the nation how you can do it. and make it so that everybody feels a part of it. So um, I will dedicate and I have dedicated my life to making sure black uh, black Americans have a better quality of life than they had before I came here. Thank you. And finally, Mr. Barron, our last question, if elected, what will you do in your administration or even if you are not elected, how would you use your influence to ensure that a black agenda is delivered? So my entire career uh, has been devoted to um, uh, identifying and expanding, working with government and philanthropy to identify and expand programs that have been tested and shown to make a big difference in people's lives, not just overall, 
and really not just for people of color, but in most cases for uh, uh, populations that are black or in some cases primarily Hispanic. But a lot of them have been shown specifically like the black barbershop example I gave before and some of the early childhood programs and KIPP public charter schools to have effects uh, to really make a big improvement in the lives and outcomes of, of black students and uh, youth. Um, one other piece, an innovation that we would bring to government. When we roll out a new initiative to scale these up statewide, for instance, some of these ideas, we will require an independent assessment, a rigorous assessment, the results of which will be reported to me as governor and to the voters and to the legislature at the same time so that everyone will see, did this thing actually improve, for example, high school graduation rates, not just overall, but for communities of color and specifically for, you know, black students, Hispanic students and all the rest. So you won't have to take my word for it, whether uh, um, African-Americans are doing better off under these initiatives. People will be able to see it for themselves. Thank you so much. And now we will start with closing remarks. At the beginning of our forum, we went in ABC order. Now we'll go in reverse ABC order, starting with Mr. Perez with closing remarks. Well, thank you again for allowing me to participate uh, remotely. And again, I apologize for not being there. I am so honored uh, to have been part of this discussion. And people ask why you're running for governor. Uh, and I say I'm running for governor because uh, I learned a long time ago, um, there was a sign at the Department of Health and Human Services where I used to work, um, a statement from Hubert Humphrey. The moral test of our strength as a nation is how we treat those in the, in the dawn of life, our children, how we treat those in the twilight of life, the elderly, and how we treat those in the shadows of life. Black Marylanders have all too frequently been left in the shadows. Black youngsters here in Maryland have all too frequently been denied access to basic opportunity. So many challenges lie ahead, but you know what? So much progress has been made. I applaud Speaker Jones and others for their black agenda, what you have done, what was accomplished in this past legislative session in Annapolis in the middle of a pandemic was nothing short of remarkable. And again, what happened then was done all despite the governor, not with the governor. Imagine what else we could do if we had a dance partner. I want to be that partner. And as your partner, you will have my promise that what I have done for the past 35 years of my career, which is fight for opportunity, fight for jobs, fight for justice, will be exactly what we will do. And we will measure it. You will see an administration that looks like Maryland. You will see an administration where Black Marylanders have a seat at the table, a voice, a megaphone, because that is how we succeed. I look forward to this opportunity, and I am so grateful for your willingness to allow me to participate. Thank you. Thank you, Candace, as well. Thank you. Mr. King, closing remarks. Thanks. Grateful to our Black Party for the opportunity to be a part of this conversation. You know, when I was a kid, after my parents passed away, I moved around different family members, different schools, and I struggled like a lot of kids who've experienced trauma. And I actually got kicked out of high school 
and the first United States Secretary of Education have been kicked out of high school. And it would have been easy for folks to give up on me, as happens for so many young people. But they didn't. They chose to invest in me. And I was blessed by that. And I'm sitting here today, despite the challenges I had as a kid, not because I'm special, but because there were the right interventions at the right moment, the right public institutions that intervened in my life, teachers and a school counselor. And that doesn't happen for enough folks. Uh, we're leaving opportunity to chance for too many folks in Maryland and as a country. And so ultimately for me, the Black Agenda is about ensuring justice, ensuring equity, ensuring that our public institutions, our schools, uh, our higher ed institutions, our approach to housing and transportation and criminal justice actually ensures access to opportunity for Black Marylanders. And I'm committed to doing that as governor, and I, I hope folks will join me in the movement that it will take to get that done. Thank you so much, Mr. King. Mr. Jane, closing remarks, please. Opportunity. Uh, once again, my name is Ashwani Jane, and I am running for governor to make our politics more inclusive and accessible for you, the Black Marylander. Uh, that's why I've already built one of the largest grassroots campaigns in this state. I'm the first statewide candidate in the United States to be 100% volunteer run and make all my events free. I'm also in a different county every day through my mobile campaign offices. And while I would be the nation's youngest governor, I have the experience and the perspective needed to serve you all well. I've worked in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. I helped manage the political appointee process in the Obama White House and administration. I worked to get over 400,000 Marylanders access to health care when I was at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I worked on affordable housing programs at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And I helped get the NIH and the FDA billions in additional funding when I was then Vice President Biden's Director of Outreach for the Cancer Moonshot. And equally important, I'm a product of Maryland public schools. I'm a son of immigrants and minority-owned small business owners. And I'm a cancer survivor who knows exactly what it feels like to be written off or have others make decisions for me instead of with me. And I know that is something that Black Marylanders know all too well. So if you'd like to learn more about anything that I discussed tonight or have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, you can visit janeforgovernor.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mr. Jane. Mr. Barron, closing remarks, please. Back to the big picture, which is that on many longstanding problems in our state, primarily affecting underserved populations, we are stuck. We have had stagnant wages for 40 years for low and moderate income Marylanders, the bottom 40% of the population. Our poverty rate is no different than it was in 1995. Uh, the numbers I gave on education really no different than they were 20 years ago. Um, we are just, we are not making progress for an astonishingly large share of the population. And the problems, as I've described, I gave the numbers, are that much worse. We all know that for Marylanders of color and black Marylanders. You could roll the tape back to the gubernatorial elections of the 1990s, and for God's sakes, they're still ta they're talking about many of the same problems, the need to urgent need to improve education and the schools in Baltimore and all the rest. Um, I would break us out of this cycle. I want to pioneer a new governing approach in our state, one where we're not just rolling out the next new plan and hoping it's going to work. We've done that. We've been doing that for decades. 
I mean, 20 years from now, are our kids going to look back and say that we faced all these persistent problems and we just kept on doing the same thing again and again? Or will they say that Maryland led the nation? We pioneered a fundamentally new approach to governing based on evidence about what actually works to improve people's lives. And that we finally moved the needle on education and stagnant wages and health care and racial equity across all of these areas. That is the Maryland, that's the future I want for Maryland. And I'm asking for your help to get us there. I appreciate the, I very much appreciate the opportunity to, to be here. And I would like to, uh, I would like to continue the conversation during this campaign. And as governor, I will reach out and be a full partner, uh, to our black party and to, um, and to include black Marylanders in my cabinet and my government generally. Thank you so much, Mr. Barron. Mr. Baker, closing remarks. Thank uh, our black party for having us tonight and hosting, uh, this forum. I think it's very important and the issues that were raised. Are critical. Um, like many uh, folks in Maryland and across the, the United States, I was a quarantine witness at America's and Maryland's um, historic fork in the road. And I can sit on the sidelines, having been a legislator for eight years and an effective county executive of the largest, second largest jurisdiction in the state of Maryland, when I knew that the, the things that I learned could help leverage for us and move this state into the, into uh, the right direction. And so I'm running because I believe that it's not about what you say or even about what you believe. It's the ability to get things done. Um, folks are going to say the right things and are going to believe the right things. But if you don't know how to actually run a government, it's not going to help us. And so I want to do that. I don't want to be the state's next caretaker. I want to move Maryland forward because I believe Maryland can show not only the state, but can show the nation how to come to racial uh, uh, awakening and uh, justice and do it right and be the leader, which is what we should be in the state of Maryland. So I want to um, work with county executives and mayors uh, to move us in the right direction. Um, I want us to be an example for the nation, as I said. Uh, I hope to earn your support. I want you to know that you already have mine. Thank you. Thank you so much. That concludes our agenda for Black Maryland. I want to thank our Black Party, again, to the leadership staff and all of the supporters all over the country. My name is Teslin Figaro. You can find me at Teslin Figaro on Twitter. And thank you again to the candidates for allowing me an opportunity to ask the tough and most ne necessary questions. I'll now turn it back over to Ms. Hollingsworth. Thank you so much, Teslin, and thank you to all the candidates who took your time out, however long you were able to stay with us. I'm so thankful for your time, for your thoughts, for your energy, and most importantly, for your attention to an issue that is really important and near and dear, obviously, to my heart, but to the heart of many um, Marylanders across the state. Um, I hope that this is just the start of a conversation. I look forward to having more one-on-one -on -one and perhaps more candid conversations with each of um, the candidates where we are able to talk through in a bit more in-depth about more of the issues because as we spoke earlier, these, I, these issues that we spoke about for this 90 minutes were just a taste of the things that are on the minds of uh, Black Marylanders and honestly, Black people across this country. We are thirsty to have leadership that is actually listening to the things that we are saying, leadership that is actually willing to uh, be committed to what they're what they're promising 
and actually following through once they get into office. It has been far too long that we have been neglected as voters, far too long that our voices are used to elevate uh, particular candidates or parties, and not long enough where we're actually able to say, these are the things that have happened in my life and how my life has improved as a result of being involved in the political process and sharing my thoughts with people who desire to be elected. I think Maryland has an opportunity for us to demonstrate that that can be different, um, that we can show that the power of people and particularly black people um, is something that can really cause a tide shift across the country. And so I look forward to each of you being partners with us in doing that work um, and not uh, shying away from the difficult questions and shying away from the people that you perceive to be difficult. So thank you again. Thank you, Teslin, for taking your time. Um, and thank you to everyone for watching. I hope you have been informed by this conversation as much as we have. Um, the work that we are doing is really important. We are base building in states across the country with a focus on those states with a significant population of black voters. Um, and we can only do that work through the generous contributions of those who believe in what we believe. Um, we invite everyone to visit our website, www.ourblackparty.org, to learn more about what we're doing and also to make a donation. Um, your support actually helps us uh, build and educate and train voters and community leaders and others who may aspire to office um, at some point in the future. So thank you and have a wonderful night. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now.